0: and this is view the valleys podcast episode 33 with tj hoover and chris smith tj how you been doing
1: oh i'm doing really well today i'm more excited to hear how you're doing now that you're entering the world of being a homeowner so excited nervous don't know what to think what are your thoughts
0: you know mixed emotions uh you know very excited uh not sure how i feel about now I'm, you know, going to be really in debt. Um, but hey, it, apparently it's the American dream. I'm not sure if it's my dream, but I'm sure it's someone's dream I'm living right now. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be good. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Started. Uh, I, my dad's been helping me uh, start painting uh, painting some of the rooms. Mom's been doing a little cleaning over there, so been getting some help from the parents, and then hopefully going to get moved in. Uh, not this weekend, but hopefully the following weekend, and then awesome. uh, hopefully set up a, a little podcast area in there too. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it.
1: Um, well, congratulations.
0: Yeah, thank you. It'll be uh be interesting to see how to uh, see it how it all works out. Uh, but other than that, uh, the reason not moving in this weekend, uh, well, we're supposed to have closed. Phew, Felt like a couple weeks ago, and it just kept getting moved and moved. But, uh, going to be going down to Richmond, Kentucky this weekend. Going to go down for the Murray State and Eastern Kentucky basketball game. So, looking forward to seeing that game and going to catch up with Coach A.W. Hamilton down there. And, uh, should be a good time. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. We are one month away because we're recording here on the third, one month away from the start of the OVC tournament. Tomorrow will be one month away from the, uh, MVC tournament, the shortest month of the year, too, so just four weeks away. It doesn't seem uh, like it's been that fast, or it seems like it's been really fast. It doesn't seem like it's been that long since the start of the year.
0: No, I mean, I I feel like we've talked about this before, but, you know, with both of us going to the Missouri Valley tournament last year before everything got shut down, it doesn't even feel like it's been that long since the tournament. Like, I feel like it's been a blur.
1: It still feels like it's, you know, March
0: 900th, too. Well, They have that too. Um but during this week's episode, we'll look back at the slate of games from this past week as well as what's on tap for this week inside the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. Also sports anchor and reporter for Fox Two Now in St. Louis, Charlie Marlowe will join the show. He is also he can also be heard on 590 the fan. And he is a graduate of Bradley, so he'll be on to discuss Bradley hoops and the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, first, look back at this past week, TJ, and we can go ahead and dive into the Missouri Valley here first. And I'll kick things off for you here. Uh, Drake still undefeated. Uh, I, I just yeah, I can't still
1: undefeated. I mean, had a huge scare from Illinois State. Uh, moved into the top 25 at 25 for the first time since, I believe, 07, 08. And uh, Drake and Loyola are both in the top 15 in net. So, you know, that's that's good for the Valley. There's, you know, I think there's a lot of hope that maybe they're back to a two-bid league, you know, assuming that, you know, they have a good showing in St. Louis. I don't think that the top two seeds can lose in St. Louis on uh, Friday again. And expect to have more than one team. Sure, uh, but yeah, they're definitely there. I think this whole week—I mean, I'm looking at the standings right now—and there, it looks like somebody just drew names out of a hat <laughs> compared to what we thought at the beginning of the year. You know, yeah. Drake's at the top. Evansville is in third place, and Northern Iowa's down at number seven. Bradley's at number six. Uh, it's just—it's—it's it's just crazy. And what a difference a week makes. A week ago, you know, Missouri State—I was singing the praises of Isaiah Mosley and and Gage Prim, they lose four games in a row, you know, to uh, Loyola and uh, Drake. Drake, yeah, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. But, you know, those when we got done recording last week, they were up big in the first half against, you know, against Drake. And then Drake made a great comeback in the second half. Uh, You know, Missouri State went cold and shot 20%
0: in the second half of that game. Yeah, they were up by, double, what, 17? Go ahead. They got they got up by about 17, didn't they? Yeah, it was 17 with a minute and a half to go in the first
1: half. And, uh, yeah, kind of a, a great performance by Gage Prim and Isaiah Mosley. Both, they both went for double-doubles. Uh, Prim had 18 and 16, and Mosley had 17 and 10. But Player of the Week, uh, Cameron Crutwick, well-deserved. And then Newcomer of the Week, Darnell Brody, the big man at uh, Drake. You know, he... Uh, had some really good performances. And you know, I was crunching some numbers. And over this week, those last four games, Missouri State shot just 18% from three point range, including one night against uh, Loyola where they went 0 for 12. And they've been outscored in the paint by 46 points over those four games. Meanwhile, Drake is shooting 31%, including one night that they went 13 for 31 from three. And they are outscoring teams by 62 points in the paint. That's impressive. So, I mean, they—it was like I said, had a close game. Maybe should have lost that Illinois State game. I mean, Illinois State had their chances to win, but they came out on top. And I've just been impressed with their defense. That they really uh, made some great strides. So, well, overall, that's kind of what I've seen on the MVC side.
0: Well, while we're on uh, the Missouri Valley, I saw this. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or I saw it via Facebook. Uh, Andy Katz put out, I believe it was Andy Katz, put out his uh, 2021 uh, March Madness bracket prediction. Mm-hmm. And I think it had had Drake at an 8-seed playing 9-seeded Boise State. And then okay. he also had Loyola in there as a playing game for the 11th seed.
1: I think I saw already had... Drake as an eight and Loyola
0: as an 11. So, okay, so pretty, com- I guess that is comparable. Yeah, pretty man. close. Yeah. So, on the Ohio Valley, on notes, so go ahead. On the Ohio Valley side, it uh, looks like Murray State's getting back on track. You know, they were picked to finish atop the Ohio Valley this year with uh, um, Austin P and. They're often sputtered a little bit start the year, uh, but looks like they're starting to gain some uh traction, been shooting shooting lights out here recently. They've I think they've had 71 or more points in about I think the last five or six games, including a 85-82 loss to Jacksonville State at home. But Murray State 2-1 this past week with a win over Tennessee State, which was by 20 points, 73-53. Also beat SEMO on the road, won by 17. And then their lone loss was to Belmont. Uh, we'll get into that game here shortly, but uh, it's encouraging if you're a Murray State fan to see uh, Murray go 2-1 and one this week and play Belmont, you know, basically right down to the wire. Uh, also, uh, Eastern Illinois, uh, talked about them a handful of times here on previous sh- episodes. We, we talk a lot about their, their veteran leadership, a lot of seniors, a lot of upperclassmen on the team. But Coach Spoonhauer's had a tough time here, uh, and it really and it really does not have anything to do with you know lack of effort. It's just he he and the program have been dealt a, a bad hand here over the last seems like six seven games. Uh, they were able to get a win last night, which snapped an eight game losing streak. They beat SIU Edwardsville seventy to sixty one, but they haven't had more than eight players on you know for a game in the last five games they had nine or ten against belmont and a loss to them but since then it's been eight or seven players at most and that that's tough to do i mean you can't even scrimmage in practices you know it it just makes it tough due to you know their injuries like they haven't almost their entire starting five from the beginning of the season has missed time at some point or another throughout the last month and then to make things worse their leading scorer Josiah Wallace came down wrong on his foot last night and then left the game early against SI Edwardsville and never returned so hopefully for the Panthers sake you know he'll be able to return at you know in the near future but I mean, they can't catch a break. It just seems like one guy after the other keeps getting hurt, and they're running out of guys to play.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's
0: tough. You have enough games.
1: I mean, if you run into a stretch like because SIU Edwardsville it seems to be playing every day. If you run into a stretch like that, and you only have seven or eight guys, that's tough enough to do with ten or twelve.
0: Oh, absolutely. Much less than
1: this stretch. And I mean, they they've got to find some wins here if they want to get to to Evansville because they're on the outside looking in. If we ended the season today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, They're going to have to hopefully get healthy here and we'll be able to string some uh, wins together for uh, Eastern. Uh, Also, uh, Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State, big game down in Jacksonville, Alabama last night. Uh, Two teams that are higher up in the standings than which they were projected uh, at the start of the year. Uh, Both been playing well. We'll get into that game here in a little bit, but Eastern Kentucky came away with uh, an overtime victory over JSU last night. It's
1: always always good to get a win on the road, especially when you're battling for position. You're talking about seeding now. Eastern Kentucky wants to keep that two seed in their their grasp. Uh, It was uh, definitely a quality win for the Colonels.
0: So we'll get back into the Missouri Valley here, TJ. And I know you wanted to dive in more in depth into some of these games from this past week.
1: Yeah, it was just, I was getting more as you get into the numbers, just to see how big a deal it is for teams to go on runs. And we talked about Missouri state being up big in the first half of that Drake game. And, you know, got big games out of, uh, you know, Roman Penn, who you expect to Darnell Brody, that that's all gravy to me. Cause he's in there going against Gage Krim to come away with 16 and 15. But, uh, you know, and then game two, it was kind of like the, the roles were switched that Drake built themselves up a good lead. They were up by 13 early in the second half. And then Missouri State goes on a 15-0 run, and they actually take the lead with six minutes to go. Uh, but, again, just didn't shoot really particularly well, but they had four guys in double figures, they being Missouri State. Darnell Brody with 14 more boards, so he had 29 boards in two games, if my math's correct. And Shaquan Hemphill, he really kind of took over the game. I have him up front on that press, and he's just, I, you talk about kids being leapers, he is quick to jump, if you know what I mean. Like They're trying to throw the ball over his head, and he gets off from a, just the standstill so quickly at the point of that press. It, it was really impressive what they could do. And then to me, one of the surprising games of the week was Bradley goes to Valparaiso on a one-off because they're trying to make up games from that they lost to COVID, and Valparaiso takes Bradley to double overtime they get through both overtimes without Donovan Clay and they lose Ben Cricky i think it was somewhere early in the first overtime and they still managed to pull out a win you know despite 27 points from Elijah Child uh, Elijah Childs excuse me i mean they just had Sheldon Edwards just came out of nowhere i mean he he scored what did i hear was it 11 of his points in overtime out of his 18 jeez so came through big um, they shot, here's another one for you. Valpo just shot 36% from the four for that game and they still won.
0: <laughs> oh, so,
1: wow. So, I mean, uh, they had, they, they only hit 26 field goals and 11 of them were three-pointers.
0: I mean, you don't hear that very often, like at no, all.
1: not at all. So, it's just, uh, it was a big one. then Northern Iowa and Southern Illinois, I think two teams that aren't, uh, kind of going the direction that they wanted. And these games kind of, uh, to use a math term, seem to be reciprocals of each other. Southern Illinois uh, built up a first-half lead despite Lance Jones being in foul trouble. He ended up only playing about 19 minutes. And, uh, you know, they took a first-half lead, but then second half, Northern Iowa came storming back and led by Noah Carter. Austin Fife, uh, the big man from Northern Iowa, took a fall and bounced his head off the floor. And I have it from a reliable source that it was noticeably loud in the arena when he thumped his head on the floor. And people were surprised he played the next day. And it was, And ended up only played about half of game two. So game one, Northern Iowa pulls away late, beats Southern Illinois 74-62. And I think really it was interesting because in the first half, Northern Iowa was one for 11 from three-point range, losing at halftime. Second half, SIU was two for ten from three point range and just couldn't keep up. That they got outscored by fifteen in that second half, and then it was kind of the opposite story on the next day. Austin Fife only gets nine minutes. He uh, took a spill into the advertisements down on uh, the one end and really didn't see him at, or didn't see him at all in the second half. But Lance Jones made up for his shortcomings the night before. Goes seven for eleven from three point range, finished with twenty seven and still had six assists. And uh, Stephen Verplankin probably had his best game of the year, going four for eight from three. It, it, Saluki shot fifty percent from three-point range, which is—I don't know if I could shoot fifty percent from three-point range out there by myself.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> I, that's on fire. I mean, a lot of a lot of people, you know, can't do that.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then uh, I, what I expected to be. I expected a split from the next series, Bradley and Indiana State at Indiana State. Indiana State takes both of them. I mean, they get, uh, you know, solid games out of a couple guys. Uh, you know, still no Art Boya for, for Bradley, and I think that's still hurting them, but uh, they're still winning the battle in the paint But Ja'Shaun Henry came back and gave them a, a solid uh, performance. But just for, you know, Bradley... Indiana State wins the first game, 60 to 57, and the second one, 67 55. So Bradley is finding themselves just reeling, as you know from a couple weeks ago. We expected them to be up at the top of the league, and then I think the surprise of the league, right behind maybe Drake, is Evansville. They had two big games. You know, I thought Valparaiso was playing really well after coming off that Bradley win. Maybe they're pushing themselves up in the top four of the league and Ed Brett or Evansville side, they had something to say about it that, uh, you know, I felt like they were in control, um, during the first game, they ended up winning 70 to 52. And the second game, they were down, I believe 12 in the first half. And they cut it to nine at halftime and it was tied with about three minutes to go. And they went on about a seven Oh run right there towards the end of the game and just kind of pulled away, uh, from Valparaiso to, you know, to move to six and four. I think they are in the league. And then we've talked about Illinois state Drake and overtime game. They had there. Antonio Reese with 27 in game one, where they lost an OT and Darnell Brody with another double, double becoming redundant, just like it is with gauge prim. And, uh, and the second game was more what you expected. Drake wins 95 to 60. Uh, it felt like it was Drake the whole way. The big one I want to talk about was the first Missouri State Loyola game. Okay. Missouri State coming off their two losses, you know, back to back at home against Drake, see how they're going to respond. Loyola opens up the game with a 22 to 4 run and just, I mean, it blows their doors off. that. Missouri State looked flat. I, I don't know. The loss isn't the word, just, you know, kind of the wind was taken out of their sails, so to speak. And, I found it interesting as I watched the game that, you know, you look at the the how many timeouts are left, and Missouri State hasn't called timeout. I think it was a twenty-two to four run. I mean, I even went back and looked at the play-by-play. They didn't call timeout. Gets the end of the first half. They don't call timeout. Don't use their user lose.
0: So their only timeout out that they used was the yeah, one that, they that lost. Was the
1: only timeout that was taken off the board, so to speak. And the second half never called timeout. So I don't know if. You know, there was kind of, uh, if something happened that Coach Ford was just like, you know what, you guys think you know better, here we go, figure it out. Or if it was just, hey, we're going to cut our losses and try and show up tomorrow. But I don't know if I've, in a scenario where I've seen a coach go through a game without using his timeouts.
0: Well, especially in one half where you only score 16 points.
1: Right, I just... You know, was just, I was just amazed and just I was texting a couple of the people like, have you ever seen anything like this before? Uh, next night, it, I got over to it late and about 10 or 12 minutes in, he'd already used two timeouts. <laughs> so I guess maybe somebody said something to him. But, you know, uh, every time Missouri State would make a run in that second game, they kind of uh, make a pu- I felt like they're starting to make a push. They just had no three uh, point shooting. Going 0-for-12, Gage Krim fouled out really early. He only played 17 minutes. So, you know, that with him going up against Crutwig, Crutwig had 19 points in that game. DeMarcus Sharp looked really good for Missouri State. Ended up with 21, going 9-for-12 from the floor. But 70-50, to so you have two games that you lose by, you know, more than 50 points. Or not 50 points, but more than 40 points between the two of them. And that's that's going to do something to your ego. So I'm interested to see how Missouri State's going to bounce back here this next week because they got some tough sledding ahead of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at it right now, and I feel like it's just similar to last year. There are so many teams hovering hovering around the 500 mark. Like if right. anything could happen in this tournament, you, yeah, it Drake's above and beyond everybody else right now. But other than them, everybody's like right there. You know it. Evansville seven and eight fo five and four in the conference you know Carbondale's eight and six two and six in the conference and so many teams right there there's no telling who's gonna win come tournament time I mean
1: and you know I think everybody now is starting to look to not this weekend but the following weekend when Loyola goes to Drake how big is that gonna be you know uh From a league perspective, you know, I was hoping that they get two teams in. Do you want Drake to win both of them, just in case they lose in St. Louis, or you know, do you get a split? So if either one of them lose, that maybe they get that at-large bid. You know, it's because that's the way I kind of look at it. You know, I I cheer for SIU first and the Valley, second.
0: Well, I mean, I'm sure there's also probably a, a way that even if Loyola did lose both up there, you know, then if those two face off in the championship, Drake loses and Loyola would win. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I don't see how both of them don't get in, especially right. if Drake keeps on the winning pattern that they're on. Yeah. But one of those two games has to be nationally televised, I would think. I think so sure.
1: here let me
0: check. I mean there's just no way I can't see at least one of them not being on national television. You know, seventeen and zero.
1: They got Saturday on February 13th. uh, They got playing for ESPN2 or ESPNU. And then game two, same idea. Oh, so they're both. ESPNU. So they're they're both of them. So that's good. Thank goodness for that. You know, that'll be a good chance. Hopefully, they get some good battles up there Mm -hmm. in Des Moines, which is a great town, by the way. Underrated city.
0: You and Des Moines. Uh, Never heard of anybody going to Des Moines for a vacation. I feel like as many times that you've been there or talked about it
1: i've been twice the second trip wasn't as good i had to watch the salukies get thumped by the bulldogs so mm. it wasn't so much fun <clears throat> <laughs> so how about on the OBC side what uh, what what was the rundown there
0: so on the ohio valley side uh, one of the ga- games i hadn't mentioned when we were doing the brief overview uh belmont and austin p uh, belmont went to austin p uh thursday and came away with a uh, 5.1 8176. they trailed at the half it was really a back and forth game i mean it, it was a five point game but even the score was a lot closer than that it felt like all game uh caleb hollander i mean it was huge for belmont uh 24 points and it was his three-point shooting what what won the game for belmont austin p had belmont on the hook for their first conference loss but hollander's three-point uh, barrage just three after three uh, he ended up i think made five or six three-pointers but it, they came in like bunches it felt like uh ended up winning 81 76 uh terry taylor big again for austin p uh he had 23 points 12 rebounds and it was just a good back and forth effort between Taylor and Belmont. I think there was a stretch where Taylor had like, it felt like four baskets in a row, plus a couple free throws. Like it was Belmont score, Taylor score, Belmont score, Taylor score. Now, granted, obviously there are a lot more other players on Austin P that were involved, including uh, Austin P's point guard uh, Carlos. Uh, Piaz. Piaz. Yeah, 6 for 9 from
1: 3-point range.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if you watched the game, but what he was able to do, especially late in the game, yeah, his 3-point shooting was on fire. But it, it got to a point where he ended up, I don't know if he twisted an ankle or what the case was, but he ended up leaving the game for a few minutes but before he left the game, he's hobbling around out there on defense, having a hard time even guarding anybody, and just hobbles back down the court on offense. <laughs> Pump fakes, guy goes flying past, drains the three, and then he's back on defense hobbling around. like it, it, it was a good two minutes he's out there hobbling around. Finally, he ends up going out of the game, comes back in, and then still ends up hobbling around, and it was – it was impressive to to say the least for the sophomore. Uh, yeah, very good game on national television between Belmont and Austin P. Uh, another game. Uh, just last night, uh, the Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State game. Um, Eastern Kentucky got out to a twenty to four lead. I think it was that had to have been with like eight minutes into the game. like their defense was it was unbelievable. Jacksonville State couldn't get anything going. It looked like it was going to be just a, a rout at this point. But mm-hmm. Eastern Kentucky started shooting some contested threes. Jacksonville State started chipping away, then it was 22 to 7. I watched the game from start to finish. And next thing you know, uh, it's a very close game at the half. I think it was it was 40 to 36 at the half. Right. Jacksonville State at one point in the second half went up by eight it was like 71 63 they're up by eight and then eastern kentucky ends up draining a three banked it in from the top of the key or top of the arc banked it in and ended up going to overtime and eastern kentucky was able to prevail with an 86 82 win big win for eastern kentucky on the road tough luck for jacksonville state not only because of the overtime loss but their game previously at Eastern Kentucky this year was also an overtime loss. Oh, man. So Coach Harper and the JSU Gamecocks, they can't catch a break against the Colonels. They've, they've had them right there twice. And even the game at Eastern Kentucky, uh, JSU was leading with a couple minutes to go in the game and then ended up falling just short. And they even led by, I think, six points in that first game at EKU before falling in overtime. Uh,
1: yeah, it'd be fun to watch those guys play if they can, the works out right at the OBC tournament.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but one good thing for JSU was they had Brandon Huffman back. Uh, he had missed the previous game, so they were glad to see his points get back in there on the floor, finish with 12 points. Uh, but in C- just
1: 23 minutes, I mean, that's pretty good production too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and we've seen that this year from him. Doesn't play a whole lot of minutes as you would expect out of a starter. Like Kane Henry played about 35 minutes and Jalen Finch over 41. But Henry had 22 points, three of six from distance. Finch was also three of six from distance with 19 points. Very balanced scoring attack by JSU. Uh, But what's more, what I find more interesting in this game I think it speaks volumes of Eastern Kentucky's balance on offense. When people talk about Eastern Kentucky basketball this season, a lot of them think Trey King. Trey King is one of the best players in the conference. Uh, He's up there with Terry Taylor. He did not do a whole lot on offense last night. Eastern Kentucky scored 86 points, uh, Trey King had six. He had six points, was three of 14 from the floor, zero of three from distance. So what the rest of the Eastern Kentucky team was able to do, I, I think it speaks volumes for the direction or where they're at now and the direction they're heading. And Wendell Green Jr. was the one that carried the team, 22 points. But Cooper Robb, he had 15 points out of the first I think it was like 28, 31 points yesterday. He was draining threes left and right. He was 4-9 from distance. Finished with 20 points. Most of those came in the first, I think, 5 or 10, five to 10 minutes of the game. But So big win for Eastern Kentucky. SEMO uh, at home against SI Edwardsville. SEMO was able to come away with a 64-62 win over the Cougars. But the the kicker here is, Simo did not lead the entire game until they got fouled with like two tenths of a second remaining in the game. Oh, doctor. Edwards S I U E went up for a shot, uh, lost the ball, and then Simo ended up gaining control, passed it ahead to Eric Reed. He got fouled as the as the buzzer went off. They end up going to the monitor, put it, uh, two three tenths of a second back on the clock and he drained both free throws. That was their only lead the entire game.
1: It's the only, it's the only time of the game the
0: matters. <laughs> exactly. Well, and they were down 13 at, at one point, and it's like, well, SEMO's been struggling at the line this year, and to see that it was two free throws that mattered for them to give them the win. Uh, big for SEMO. Then they followed that up with a win over Eastern Illinois on Saturday. Uh
1: at the game, Eastern Illinois only mustered 44 points, so yes. it was a tough sled for
0: them. Yeah, that, that was the game. Uh, that was a 75-44 win for SEMO in that game, and we'll just flow right into that one. Uh, the Quite a bit of the difference in that game. Uh, points in the paint. SEMO outscored Eastern 32-2 and points in the I'm paint. i sorry,
1: sorry, say that again. 32-2 to two wow so Sema almost has as many points in the paint as eastern had the entire game
0: that is correct wow yes uh eastern made nine three-pointers in the game but and a lot, a lot of that has to do with the majority of the players that eastern is missing are some of their some of their post players you know, so they they attempted 33 three pointers out of 53 shot attempts in that game. So, That's,
1: I mean, I'm looking at the stats right now. 18 of those 33 attempts were off the bench.
0: Yeah, they had 15 points off their bench out of the 44, which they only had three guys on their bench. But you know, watching the game last night with uh, Eastern Illinois and SI Edwardsville, I it Coach Spooner is having to sub sub a guy in. It seems like every every two minutes or so, just to keep guys fresh because they just don't have enough bodies out there to you know go a considerable amount with the same five out there. Mm-hmm. But those were some of the some of the key games that stood out to me. Um, I think that there was one other game I wanted to mention. Uh, oh, Morehead State, uh, Morehead State, twelve and six, nine and two in the OVC. Uh, They went down to Jacksonville State, and it was a close game at half, 35-32, but Moorhead State was able to pull away for an 85-66 win. And that was the game where, uh, I believe, I don't think Huffman was present in that game. You know, he was not. So that was the game that uh, Jacksonville State missed the, missed Huffman, as Moorhead State's got a pretty big team. And, uh Moorhead State's defense has been unlike any other defense right now inside the Ohio Valley. Yeah, Eastern Kentucky's got a great defense in enforcing steals, but Moorhead State's scoring defense has been, I mean, it's been top tier for the conference right now. And you, if you're missing one of your better players, especially a guy that's big around the rim, it's going to be tough to, to keep Moorhead State at bay as they're going to be all over you on defense. So big win for Moorhead State there, and then they followed that up with another 19-point win on the road. So two road wins for Moorhead State and company uh, this past week. But other than that, uh, that's a look back at the games in the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. But with that, we'll go ahead and bring you the interview with Charlie Marlowe as we caught up with him earlier in the week. And we're joined by Charlie Marlowe, sports producer with Fox 2 Now in St. Louis. Charlie, how are you doing?
2: What's up, guys? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing?
0: Oh, pretty good.
1: Doing well, especially with uh, the big news in St. Louis this week of Noah Arenado coming to the Cardinals. Uh, it was pretty shocking move. It probably kept you busy for the past few days, though.
2: It did, but you know what? I'm happy about it because the Cardinals were so quiet this whole off season, this whole winter, I didn't think they were actually going to do a, a substantive move like this, but uh, you know what? John was was not fibbing. He wasn't telling a lie when he said they didn't want to add payroll. So when they said they don't want to (laughs) add payroll to 2021, I thought that meant, okay, they're not going to do anything big. Well, sure enough, somehow they pull off a trade for the best third baseman in baseball. And it seems like the way the money is deferred and paid by the Rockies, they were able to do that without really, adding payroll for this year. I don't know how they did that. Caught everybody by surprise, for sure. No, absolutely. But you know what? It was a great move for the Cardinals, and uh, I think it made a lot of sense because the Cardinals have a lot of money coming off the books after this season. You know, you have Uh Dexter Fowler coming off the books. You have Matt Carpenter coming off the books. Eventually here, you got to think Adam Wainwright and Adam Molina will not come back, although Cardinals fans would love to see him play forever, but Andrew Miller as well. So it really makes perfect sense. If you think about it from a salary standpoint, moving forward after 2021, you're kind of replacing the salaries of a Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler combined with Nolan Arenado. So I think people right. would take that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. So we'll get into it here. Uh, recently reason uh, we wanted to bring you on, on the show because you attended an MVC school, uh, that being Bradley up in Peoria. What was it
2: that led you to attend Bradley, coming from Toledo, Ohio? So it's a great question. I got I got a uh, you know some mail from Bradley. I think it was after my my sophomore or junior year in high school. I took the the PSAT, did pretty well on that. Started getting some some mail and whatnot, and I had heard of Bradley mostly from the NCAA tournament. From a couple Mm -hmm. years, they were pretty good there in the 90s. And I didn't know anything about it, had never been to Bradley, but they basically said that they'd give me a good scholarship. So I always kept them in the back of my mind. And uh, I really wanted to go to North Carolina, to be honest with you. I didn't get into uh, Chapel Hill. So Bradley had this uh, nice scholarship offer academically, and I was able to kind of, through some different channels of of a summer baseball coach I had, talk with the coach of Bradley at the time, baseball, Dewey Calmer, and, and be able to go up there and kind of be a tryout, preferred walk-on type guy. So it uh, it made sense, and I went from Toledo, Ohio, to, to Peoria, Illinois, and that's how it all started.
0: So you're involved with baseball, you know, up at Bradley, but outside of you know the baseball program, were you able to get involved in broadcasting and sports coverage while attending Bradley?
2: Yeah, so I majored in radio TV, also history, just because I'm a history buff. But so I, I don't know how familiar you guys are now with, with Bradley, what it has with, with the Charlie Steiner School of Sports and right. Education. They got all the money there. And, you know, Larry King, who unfortunately just passed away, but he, he gave a million dollars a couple of years ago to that program. So Charlie Steiner has done great things there. That program was not around when I was at Bradley. Cause I graduated in 2004, but it's fantastic what they're doing. So back then you had either journalism or radio TV. I definitely knew I wanted to go more of a broadcast as opposed to print. So I chose radio TV and yeah, I mean, we had that mid state magazine show where you did a news show. I did that at least one year, if not two years, I can't exactly remember, but I had a lot of classes too, where you're, you're, you're going around, you're doing news shows, you're shooting video, you're making videos and packages and whatnot. And then my senior year, I, I had a paid internship at the ABC TV station in Peoria, WHOI. So I actually worked as a sports photographer. I'd run around and shoot all the high school football, high school basketball. I got to go to a little bit of some Illinois basketball. and I think I was at White Sox opening day one year. So I got to, and, and Bradley basketball, Illinois State. You had Illinois West in there. Was it the D3 college? So I was basically driving all around. If you went kind of an hour all around Peoria, I'd probably been to every single one of those high schools shooting some type of uh, (laughs) football or or basketball. Yeah, I think that's something people,
1: like being in the St. Louis area like we are, don't realize how much coverage high school teams get in those areas. Like my first teaching job was up near Quincy, and when I coached, it was nothing for us to be on the – on you know the shows the highlight shows you know once or twice a month and we are definitely all of our scores are being up there it's just different how your perspective changes bases on based on the market size
2: yeah and that's interesting i do think high school sports though even in a big market like like st louis it's 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 uh it's something that people are into and, and more so, you know, everybody wants to watch their kid on TV and have their name be said if they're playing or whatever, football, basketball, any sport, we try to get out to some baseball and some of the non-revenue sports as well. But I think if you flip it also to, to people love their colleges so much, whether it's the school they went to or if it's the school they root for and recruiting is such a, a big thing now. Yeah. And here we are on, what is now the second national signing day today, which used to be a huge deal. Now it's not as much of a deal because of you know, the early signing period where it seems like most of the kids have already committed and they signed back then. But when, when you think about when these kids commit to, to big-time football schools, big-time basketball schools, I mean, some of the, some of the stories I post on, on Twitter get the most response from a kid just saying, hey, I'm going to Notre Dame or a kid committing to Texas or a kid committing to Ohio State or Mizzou people are just so into the recruiting aspect that that draws a lot of attention to the big time recruits in St. Louis. And I've been here 13, 14 years. You think about some of the great athletes we've had just since mm-hmm. I've been here, Jason Tatum in basketball, Brad Beal in basketball, Sheldon Richardson in football and Blaine Gabbert. When I first started here, I mean, the list goes on and on. Ezekiel Elliott, there's been some, some really good athletes that were playing preps here that have went on to do great things in college and in the pros
0: so how did so, your how did your perspective about the missouri valley conference change when you became a student at bradley
2: i'm not gonna lie to you i didn't know anything about the mvc basically before i went to bradley so when i start to research bradley i look it up and i'm thinking again what, what conference is this team in because i knew of bradley basically from just i think it was 96 or 97 that made the NCAA tournament so I didn't know anything about the NBC. I grew up in in Toledo, Ohio, where you're right there in the heart of Big Ten country. You know, where I live is actually the end of my street is Michigan, so you're 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 closer to Michigan University. University of Michigan is about forty minutes away. Lansing is about an hour and a half. I actually worked in Lansing for a couple of years, and then Ohio State's two and a half hours away. So we grew up big Ohio State fans, big Big Ten basketball fans, and then your smaller schools there. Well, I'm from Toledo, and then about 20, 25 minutes away is Bowling Green State University. So that's the Mid-American Conference. So that's kind of the sports that I watched growing up. You know, we would go to Bowling Green games because my dad went there, my brother went there. We'd go to Toledo Rockets games because it was 5, 10 minutes away. And every once in a while, we go to a Big Ten game. But I really didn't know anything about the Missouri Valley Conference until I went to Bradley.
1: So now that you've kind of been immersed in it, what do you think makes the MVC special? Meaning like what would be the draw of a, a a prospective student going to an MVC school or someone getting, uh, following
2: one of their athletic programs? Well, I do think if you start with just the academics, you have a lot of, of really good Midwestern solid academic institutions. And, you know, a lot of them are, are smaller. A lot of them are private. And, and, yeah, you, know, you can go either way. You can go to a big-time public school. You can go to a smaller private school. It kind of comes down to what what you want to have as a person for your college experience. So you do have some really great academic institutions, and then sports-wise, I mean, you do have you do have great sports in the valley. And now, when I started, I, my first year was two thousand. So that's that's when I started. I graduated in two thousand four. You know, the MVC really has changed over the last twenty years. Obviously, when you think about the Wichita states of the world leaving and Creighton and there's some new schools coming in like a Valpo. So to be fair, especially when you're looking at the, the big revenue moneymaker in basketball, it's, mm-hmm. it's not as strong as a conference as it was say, you know, the year Bradley went to the sweet 16, which was Oh six. You, you had a, an MVC that was arguably, if not for sure, the best mid major type conference in the country. When you had right. Bradley really rolling, you had, Southern Illinois rolling. I mean, year in and year out. Whether it was Creighton, obviously at the end there before they leave, they were fantastic. And and when I was at Bradley was the Kyle Corver era. I think mm-hmm. he was ninety nine to two thousand three. So he was dominating when I first got there. And then you could talk about the Greg Marshall years, which uh, clearly haven't ended well for him. But I mean, he had a run there where you're going to a Final Four with Wichita State. So yeah, the conference in basketball has surely taken a hit, but still. You have some really good programs, some teams that can make some noise in the tournament, which is why I was so disappointed last year because, you know, Bradley makes the tournament two years ago, and they go in there, they give Michigan State a really good game. But last year, they didn't have the the big dance, obviously, because of COVID. I really thought, though, that last year was was the year that Bradley could have done something. They could have potentially won a game. If, If everything goes right, they could have a magical run to the Sweet 16 like they did in 2006, just because... Last year was was a a team full of seniors, and it was their second year making the tournament. So it's a shame we didn't get to see the Braves, what they could have done in the NCAA tournament.
0: So looking at this year, Bradley's had a tough stretch as of late. What have you seen out of the team during this season? I know before we came on to do the recording, uh, you had talked about how you watched the Missouri and Bradley game. But outside of their one-point loss against them, and uh, they had a one-point loss to... Was it Xavier, I think, earlier in the year? Yeah. Uh, What have you seen from them?
2: So I'm not going to lie to you. I I don't get to watch as much Bradley as I'd like. However, I have a nice text chain going with all my buddies from college, and we we do like to gamble. So we'll always kind of follow the Bradley games and see what the lines are and follow the games that way. Um, This year, besides watching Bradley here and there, the Mizzou game I watched the entire game. And and that was one where Bradley should have won that game. I know Mizzou didn't play well, but then at the end, you just you just knew when Jeremiah Tillman made that final bucket to to tie it, and he goes to the free throw line, and and he's had a great basically second half to this season. Jeremiah Tillman for me, St. Louis. So I I applaud him. But when he got that N one even though he's not the greatest free-throw shooter in the world, I just knew Bradley was going to lose. <laughs> just the way that game was trending the last couple minutes, Bradley had a big lead. It just kept shrinking, and Mizzou was making plays. And when, when Tilly got that bucket and won, I just knew Bradley was going to lose. So it is what it is. I, I don't think this year's Bradley team was as good as the last couple years. I know Elijah Childs is really, really good. But that it gets back to what I said in the previous question, which was last year's team to me – Was the team that could have made some noise Which is why it's such a shame they didn't get the chance In the NCAA tournament
1: So Attending Bradley Was there a school, an NBC school That you had a particular I thought there was a particular rivalry with That you really, or maybe even still today You really want to see them beat. I mean we always hear about the war on 74 With Illinois State But I don't know if there was a school in particular for
2: you Yeah so The war on 74 was always a big deal in all sports And So whether it was Baseball Watching Bradley play Illinois State And like I said I was I was on the baseball team Never actually played a game For Bradley Because I was redshirted. Then I was cut Transferred to junior college Came back my last two years Did not play baseball But All of my friends Still to this day Were baseball guys So You know Illinois State was always a rivalry Especially in basketball And I covered that When I was working at that TV station And uh in Peoria, W.H.O.I. I will say from a baseball standpoint, this is going back to when I was there, 2000, 2004. Wichita State was still a powerhouse in baseball. Now, this was mm-hmm. five, ten years coming off when they're winning national championships with Darren Dreifert. But they were still really good. I, I remember um, a game, a Friday night game, where Mike Pelfrey, who was a first-round pick, I believe, of the Mets. I can't remember what year this had have been, probably like 2002 or three. But Bradley beat Wichita State and Mike Pelfrey in a one-zip game. A guy named Colin Walker, a friend of mine, won this game on the mound. And Pelfrey pitched awesome. Colin Walker pitched awesome. It was one of the best games I've ever seen. And Bradley won one zip. But just, Wichita had been so good in baseball. And Gene Stevenson, nobody liked him. He was this (laughs) old-school coach, ornery. He was always just ripping on, on the umpires. And nobody liked the way he... He managed the game and coached the game. He tried to intimidate his opponents. He tried to intimidate the umpires. So nobody liked Wichita State in baseball, I'll tell you that.
0: So being in sports journalism in St. Louis, you know, with the Missouri Valley tournament being here, you know, for the last so many years, how has that affected St. Louis and maybe like the city financially?
2: Oh, it's it's fantastic. When you just think about it, especially St. Louis, they need as many, we need as many big time events like that to bring people here and it's, it's obvious, but to go to the restaurants, to fill up the hotels, to bring people downtown and also for people to know, because St. Louis doesn't have the best reputation. We all know that in terms of crime. And if you ask people from other areas, they might say, Oh, St. Louis, you know, I don't know if I want to go there. But then when you get to St. Louis, yep. I think, and, and you, and you go downtown for a sporting event. And, and again, are there some areas that, you would want to stay away from in St. Louis? Absolutely. But I mean, I remember kids used to love coming to Arch Madness and, and going to all the bars and the restaurants on the landing and all that. And and you go back five, ten years when that place was packed. And again, the, the tournament has fallen off since Wichita's left, since Creighton, but it's still a great event. I mean, it's still really fun, especially that, that Friday when you have games all day long, and you have all the different fan bases. Then you get to the semifinals on Saturday, and then on, on Sunday it's usually a, a nationally televised game on on CBS. And remember, that's that's the that's the first weekend where teams start to get their bids, where the big conferences go the following week. So that automatic bid from the MVC is always one of the first ones, which is kind of cool. And then that team gets to gets to bask in the glory of making the tournament for another week while everybody still plays. But yeah, it's it's huge to have events like that which is why Doug Elgin, who's retiring, I mean, he did great things, keeping this in St. Louis, and also the city of St. Louis, along with the Blues, updating Enterprise Center to make it a legit venue yep. to, to get NHL All-Star Games, to, to have a nice, really nice venue for the Blues, and also to have a venue that can attract um, Arch Madness, and Arch Madness want to stay here, because they're competing with other cities that want tournaments like that and that they want to have events like brag and rights between Illinois and Mizzou. So you have to have a really nice arena and the city of St. Louis, along with the blues, MVC, they've done a good job of, of updating enterprise center to make it a legit venue for something like Arch Madness.
0: Well, you talked about uh, with the tournament being here and how, you know, in years previous, you know, students from other schools, like coming to St. Louis for the tournament. And I think last year, I think when the Missouri Valley Tournament took place, that had to have been one of the last couple of weeks before most stuff started getting shut down. And after leaving the Missouri Valley Tournament, I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday, and going out to, like, Wheelhouse and Ballpark, uh, I mean, it was packed. I mean, there were, there were people from all over that were here from the tournament, and you could tell right there that uh, Ballpark Village especially was, it seemed like, just making gobs of money off the tournament being there because oh, so many... Fans were going to a ballpark, whether it be before the game or after the game, and then just making their way around some of the some of the bars and nightlife in downtown.
2: Yeah, you know what's interesting? So about about last year too is so I went to the championship game the year before when Bradley won and that amazing comeback, and then last year I went to cover it for the media day, and I remember going there for the first day doing some interviews. I was going there for Fox Two, the TV station I worked at, I work at, and they basically said they wanted to do the whole story or a big part of the story, asking officials in terms of, of COVID, of how are they were going to keep people safe and talking to players about COVID. And I remember going there thinking, gosh, you know, I'm going to go there. I'm gonna talk to the NBC officials. They're going to be kind of ticked off that I'm asking them about COVID because you got to remember at this time, the world, i shouldn't say the world but the united states of america hadn't shut down so Mm -hmm. i was going to enterprise center thinking okay this is not going to be a big deal it's it's this virus but we've done this before with h1n1 whatever it is so i remember going there actually thinking okay they're going to be ticked off and i'm i'm wanting to ask them about covid instead of the games and you know how that works if the media scares folks okay folks would be less likely to come to the games. Well, I mean, how dumb do I look now? Because the whole world shut down a couple of weeks later. So obviously COVID was a big deal. It's a serious deal. But I just, I remember going there last year thinking, okay, because COVID had not hit in, the, in terms no. of shutting everything down. And that was basically the last big sporting event where people watched uh, in person in St. Louis was, was Arch Madness.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right.
1: So question we have for all of our guests, I call it our entertainment tonight question. If you're right. You're going to go back to Peoria. Uh, do you have a dining suggestion for us? And uh, so where should we go eat and what should we order?
2: Oh, man. Okay, so again, because I, I graduated 17 years ago, I don't know if all these spots are still there. <laughs> we used to go to a spot called Gorman's, which was right across from campus in a place called Campus Town. You had La Bamba's. That was your uh-huh. late night. Mexican yeah. food, if you've been drinking, which we often right. were. I don't even know if that's still there. Um, Farmington Road, the Lucky Lady was the spot, was the bar when we were there. I don't know if that's there anymore either. Um, Cruisins is a good spot. I know that's still there, at least last time I was at Bradley a couple years ago. Cruisins is good for pizza and all that. If you go downtown, there's a lot of good spots downtown. And again, I don't want to mention all of them because I don't even know which ones are still around in hell with COVID, unfortunately, right. Half of them could be shut down or never coming back. I don't even know, but hoops pizza is a good spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hoops is still there late night. And there's a famous, a famous guy there that works there. If, if you know Peoria, if you went to Bradley, if you're on Peoria, one of the guys that's worked at hoops for at least 20 years, he looks just like weird Al Yankovic. And so (laughs) you go there and he's like kind of a local celebrity because he looks like big Al. uh, Yankovic, and he's always there. So, like when I go to when I go to Peoria, I always go to Hoops, and like when I see that guy, it reminds me of my college days.
0: Okay, well, it sounds like a lot of good suggestions. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get up there and see if some of them are still there, and hopefully, if they are there, COVID doesn't uh, you know go the opposite direction for them. But yeah,
2: I, th- I think I think I think we're turning the corner. one, one that I forgot also, you have. Avanti's, which yep. is The all-you-can-eat, they used to have all-you-can-eat Spaghetti on either a Monday or a Tuesday For like oh, wow. $4 back in the day And all the breadsticks, we used to go there uh, And One World One World Cafe right across from Bradley's campus as well was another spot I remember Did you say $4? This was, you know 2000, so yeah, I want to say It was all-you-can-eat spaghetti That was the special, the one night Whether it was Monday or Tuesday, it was either $4 Or four ninety nine. All you can eat spaghetti
0: Damn uh, But outside of that uh, To kind of wrap it up uh, Can our listeners uh, Follow you on Twitter or anywhere Or do you have any podcasts You're doing Outside of work
2: So Yeah so Twitter Is Charlie Marlow Underscore I just started Instagram But I'm not Doing a ton on that I'm Charlie Marlow Media On Instagram Facebook I have a A work page It's called I think it's Charlie Marlowe Fox Two Sports. Um, radio wise, I do a show, an hour an hour show every day with uh Cam Jansen, the former blues player on Five Ninety the Fan in St. Louis. We're twelve to one Monday through Thursday and two to three on Friday. And then I also do I do a weekly podcast with Martin Kilcoin, who's my coworker and he's a sports director at Fox Two. So that's just a weekly deal. It's only about 25, 30 minutes, and that is on uh, scoops at com. It's the website that Dan McLaughlin, the Cardinals broadcaster, has uh, set up the last couple of years. So basically, there's a lot of ways you can <laughs> hear me. You probably hear too much of me, and I can annoy you across all different platforms.
0: <laughs> well, it's good. you got a broad range out there for uh, people to find you. There you go. So, but Charlie, we appreciate you uh, taking time this week to uh, join the show and talk bradley basketball and the missouri valley conference
2: yeah it was fun i appreciate it guys all
0: right thanks a lot and so that was our interview with uh charlie marlowe uh i don't know about you tj but i enjoyed the interview I i think it was great for us to get a somebody that's you know in the sports world uh that comes over from one of these conference schools for in this case it's the missouri valley as he's a graduate of bradley So with him coming from Bradley and being in sports journalism, I mean, you know, he's all about the sports and following uh, Bradley and the Valley itself.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting to get a a different perspective about, you know, being an MVC conference or grad myself to see somebody else and what their perspective is of the league, you know, and how that changes over time and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, it was really interesting.
0: So with that, we'll go ahead and look ahead to couple of the games from each conference heading into this week. Uh, what's one or two games that stand out to you, uh, TJ, for the Missouri Valley?
1: I think, as far as the weekend series, I'm looking at Evansville and Loyola. You know, where does where's Evansville stand in comparison to the other two top teams in the league? To me, that's the biggest one. Uh, I think you'll see Missouri State bounce back against Illinois State. And uh, so those are the two series I'm looking at. Is how loyal and Missouri State really how they handle this coming up, and we even have midweek games next week, so we got uh, some things to look forward to. Anything uh, particularly caught your fancy on the OBC side?
0: Um, I think Thursday. There's a game Thursday. Well, two games really. Uh, Murray State and Moorhead State. Um, yeah, you look at the records and think, oh, okay, okay, that's. Shouldn't be that great of a game, you know. Eight and eight, five and six for Murray State, thirteen and six, ten and two for Moorhead State. But as I talked about at the beginning of the show, uh, Murray State's been on a roll recently, and this is the offense that everyone's expected to see from the Racers. Uh, yeah, they've had, they haven't had. I don't want to say a brutal schedule here recently, but. You got to start somewhere, and especially this, you know, during this stretch, they've been they've been getting their offense figured out, and they're going to have to have offense against Moorhead State. Right. If they re, uh, resort back to their offense, you know, about a month and a half ago when they played Moorhead State first, uh, I'm not sure if it was a month and a half, but however many games ago, uh, they're not going to win. I think they only scored. They scored less than 60 points in that game. I can't remember how many exactly, but it was less than 60. And if they can at least get to about the 70-point mark in this game against Morehead State, I think they got a great chance to uh, get a road win in a game where Moorhead State should be favored. Uh, Austin P. and Eastern Kentucky, I think that's going to be a great game. Uh, Terry Taylor and the governor is going to Trey King and the Colonels down in Richmond, Kentucky, on Thursday. Austin P. Ten and six, six and four in the conference. Eastern Kentucky fourteen and two, eight and one. Um, with Eastern Kentucky's defense and Austin P.'s uh, offense starting to get going as they dealt with some injuries at the beginning of the season as well. Uh, I think Austin P. is going to be ready for hopefully a redemption game. They lost eighty to seventy-five at home earlier in the season against Eastern Kentucky. And since then, uh, they've put together some pretty good games. They've gone 4-2 and two since that loss, and those two losses were a six-point loss to Jacksonville State and a five-point loss to Belmont. So Austin Peay's had some good basketball as of late, and it wouldn't surprise me if this is another game that, just like yesterday for Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State, that this game doesn't come down to the wire. Looking to Saturday, um, you know, it's two of the all three of the teams we've already talked. Well, it's all four of them. It's just a different. um, (laughs) It's just a different matchup: Uh, Austin P and Moorhead State, Murray State, and Eastern Kentucky. So we're just flip flopping opponents here. Uh, I think both those games will be big. Um, I don't, I don't know which game it'll be. But I, I feel like there's going to be a road team here that gets a win. Um, I'll be at the Murray State and Eastern Kentucky game, so I'll be really looking forward to that game. Hopefully it's a good game on both sides. Uh, but Austin Peay and Moorhead State, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Austin Peay's is able to sneak away with a road win at Moorhead State. Another game where Moorhead State is going to be favored, but uh, – Austin P, you know as we as we have talked about, you know projected to win the OVC preseason. Terry Taylor preseason player of the year, player of the year last year. I mean, they put together a very good game against Belmont and it was a loss, but I think that showed people, hey, Austin P still got talent. They're not going anywhere right. and I think this is a game that Austin P is going to want to win to not only move up in the conference, but just to let everybody know, hey, you know, we're still here and, you know, don't count us out yet. And I think this is one of those games where it could really boost uh, the governor's confidence going down the stretch.
1: Yeah, it's, it'll definitely have some implications either way for those guys.
0: So, but other than that, uh, Saturday, Belmont and SIUE, Tennessee Tech, UT Martin, Jacksonville State, SEMO, and then Tennessee State and Eastern Illinois. So that's just a look at the games coming up on this uh, on this week for the Missouri Valley and the Ohio Valley. Uh, but with that, TJ, you have any uh, final thoughts here to uh, round out the show?
1: Nope, I don't. I'm just uh, counting down the days now, hoping we get to get in and see those games live at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, it would be nice. No, uh, oh, it, it'd be nice. That's all. I'm just going to leave it at that. I could go on and <laughs> on about how <laughs> what it'd be like to go to the games, but hopefully it'll hopefully it'll work out and then we can talk about it if it does happen right uh super bowl prediction you know we're a couple of days oh. away here who, who are you going with i'm i think i'm gonna go with the chiefs going with the chiefs yep how about you i'm going with tampa bay i think it's i'd like to see tampa win um you know, just for Brady being in his first year in Tampa Bay, but also I just don't see how it's not like this story that people will be talking about is, you know, Tampa's playing in Tampa. So I just it just feels like that's just gonna mesh well, and that you know, Tampa's gonna, Tampa's gonna win. So that that'd be my bet right there, Tampa Bay money line.
1: All right. Can't believe that Ohio State fans cheering for Michigan's quarterback, but all right.
0: Hey, you know you. <laughs> You sometimes just got to put certain things aside and just roll the dice and hope it works out. So, but with that, that'll wrap up episode 33 here on view of the valleys, special thanks to Charlie Marlowe for taking time to uh, join the show this week to talk Bradley hoops and the Missouri Valley conference for TJ Hoover. I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week for episode 34. You can follow us on Twitter at View Valley's pod. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. Enjoy the rest of your week.
1: Have a good one, everybody.